So we're deep in the throes of the holiday season. And I I, I just had a nightmarish um, holiday interaction about an hour and a half ago between you and I. Um, the worst thing to do in the world is give a gift and then realize the person has the gift already. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, yeah, and I... I'm, I now realize I think I could have just I I didn't think I could lie and say that I didn't have the gift because I thought you would see it in my room here. And I'm like right now I'm realizing really good chance you probably never would have seen that. But I didn't know where it was at the time. I thought it was like here. It kind of would have been gold if I found it. So basically, I yes, I, that's what I that's what I was doing the math on. I basically gave <laughs> I gave Nick a book. Uh, a, a book called directed by James Burroughs kind of going into a lot of the stories that he tells uh, he's a director for cheers and Frasier and friends and will and grace and a lot of the big sitcoms of all time. And I was like, Oh, this is perfect for Nick. I was looking for a cheers book. It was half for his birthday, half for editing the podcast, half for half for Christmas. So I give it to him. That's and, three uh, halves. That, it, a third. Okay. A third for this, okay. a third for that. I, I started the sentence and didn't know where it was going. So that's how it, that's how it all crumbles. That's how I do this. Yeah. So I gave him the book and he sees the book um, and then he immediately outs the fact that he has it, which I was taught by my mother not to do growing up. Well, you asked me, do you have that book already? And my normal, now that's happened to me before and I've been like, no, this is great. And I'll, and I'll feign excitement. Um, <laughs> but, but um, immediate, the immediate mental math in my head was... I, this book is on, uh, it's in my room where we are. That's somewhere. the worst part of it. it. It's been in this room that we've been in recording for, for like eight months. Yeah, I, I think I've also talked about it on the podcast. Maybe too, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, so I, I was gonna say I don't have it. This is great. Um, but two thoughts. One, I've like posted on Instagram that I read this book. Oh my and God, so I really? Thought, I think. And so I thought somebody would like from the group would be like, wait, you already read that. But two, I just like, I immediately saw me being like, <laughs> I don't have this book. And then minutes later, we're recording the podcast and you're like, wait, that book is on the bookshelf behind you. And I'd have to find a way to be like, that's <laughs> the one you bought me. <laughs> I should have I should have signed the copy I gave you and pretended like I got James Burroughs to do it. <laughs> uh, is he dead? No. Okay. But the other copy I have is signed by uh, James Burroughs. <laughs> Nick, here's another one. <laughs> um, also, I mean, look, I got I, I got it because I went to an event for the book, which I invited all of you guys to. <laughs> oh, yes. And we all politely declined. Yes, that's right. So uh, yeah, but well, I appreciate it. Wasn't, wasn't it like eighty bucks to see David Schwimmer or something like that? That was probably more like thirty or forty, but it came with the book, as you now know. <laughs> uh, David Schwimmer interviewed James Burroughs, um, but and look, that's part of what led to my watching Cheers and everything too. I hope this but gives me good karma. It does. I, I would think it does. It's a great book, and I thank you for it. Um, and if you want, I'll even read it again. This or was I'll not, give it back to you so you can get your money back. I didn't want to talk about this because, uh, to, to flaunt the fact that I gave you a gift, more to say that it, that is one of the most horrifying experiences of the holiday season. If you get somebody something and, that you should have known that they had and they have it. Yeah, that is. That's true. Um, that's why I'm going to get our friends a waffle maker this year. I know they don't have that. <laughs> Um, 
Yeah, has that has that happened to you? Well, I guess you probably don't want to say publicly. I, I don't think. <laughs> are you saying like me having got a gift? That, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, relatives have done that many times. I um, the, the the trick is my parents taught me to uh, shut the fuck up. Basically, yeah, you know what I mean. Like I mean, that's I, my usual trick too. One one time when I was like nine, I was like, I have this already, uh, and I was like, Oh, you sound awful. Yeah. Even back then, I was like, oh, "Why did you say that?" <laughs> like, what? Yeah, that's usually you could always I, I you agree. can always return it. I agree. That's the etiquette, unless you're um, potentially going to get caught in that lie. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um. But 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 you also got me a gift that you said you said there was a serious gift. And yeah, a this, gag gift. this was the gag gift, and now it's actually ending up being more valuable just by the fact that you—it's the only copy of it that I know you have. Yeah, and also I'm like, this is just a great serious gift too. Uh, it's a copy of the movie Ed, starring Matt LeBlanc and a chimp. <laughs> Why don't you get the back of the the back a read? Because I don't—I haven't read it actually. Y'all go bananas. For wait, ba- wait, wait. That's the first sentence. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I was looking on the back hoping that they told me who the monkey's name was, but they don't. Y'all go bananas for baseball's funniest rookie when Friends star Matt LeBlanc teams up with the hottest third baseman this side of Cooperstown, Ed, a chimp who's the reigning champ of friendship and fly balls. Pitcher Jack Deuce Cooper, LeBlanc, is in a major bind when he makes it to the minors and gets stage fright on the mound. Back on the farm, he's dynamite, but in front of a crowd, he chokes. But good luck swings to the rescue when a hairy hero steps up to the plate. His new teammate and roommate <laughs> is Ed, a chimpanzee who turns out to be a born baseball player, bonafide matchmaker, and the best buddy that Jack ever had. Basically, they say they just might clinch the pennant. It's hilarious. It's heartwarming. I it's a, f- a family comedy that hits a home run of laughs with every play. I have a few notes on this. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, what, what year did Friends begin? 92. 92. Okay, so this came out in 96. So he was right in sorry, the middle. Sorry, 94, I meant. This was, okay, same same concept. He was in the middle of his upswing, and this was his attempt to try and yeah, become odd. a crossover star. Uh, it made $4 million on a $24 million budget. Uh, it has a zero on Rotten Tomatoes out of uh, 16 reviews. Not for long. Average of 2.3 out of 10. Four Razzie nominations for Worst Picture, Worst Screenplay, Worst Screen Couple for LeBlanc and the Chimpanzee. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> Wow, uh, worst new star, uh, which he lost to uh, Pamela Anderson and Barb Wire. Um, and the the last thing I want to say is, if you go on Wikipedia and look up the movie, uh, it is the same poster that is the cover art of the DVD. But they couldn't even find like a clean version of the poster. It's clearly like a creased fold out poster <laughs> that somebody took a photo of and posted. You can see the creases in the poster. You know, that's something that when I post about Cinema Chain Gang and I always put the picture of the movie poster on Instagram, yeah. I um, sometimes I encounter where there's no clean scans of a movie poster. But for, for depending on the movie, sometimes I like the vibe of it. It is difficult. Like for like, because I make, I make the graphic for Twitter sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I uh, I think I had the hardest time finding a poster for There Goes My Baby was one of, was one yes, of the ones. Yes, that one was hard. Um, there was another one too. A movie, a movie too. that only exists in theory, I think. I don't even remember much about it. Yeah. There's a few. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll get to that. But. Yeah. You know who uh, else is in this movie? Who? Uh, so it's Matt LeBlanc. And then it's a bunch of other people. Jim Caviezel is in it. Jesus <laughs> himself plays Dizzy in Ed. Huh. He's not mentioned on the, on the blurb. 
Hmm. The plot summary is one long paragraph on Wikipedia. You know how like movies like synopsises on Wikipedia yeah. are like six to seven paragraphs? They they combine it all to one. <laughs> this DVD has a special feature called the Babe Ruth Sport Feature at Perfect Control. I can only hope that is a DVD commentary by Babe Ruth about how he consulted <laughs> I, on the movie. I think it's unlikely. Babe, considering <laughs> Babe Ruth died in 1948. <laughs> which they talked to his Which is roughly when you know. this movie was conceived, yeah. I think. Chip plays baseball. Like well, we're at, well, maybe we'll talk about Ed one day when the chain reaches it. But for today... Oh, well, you shouldn't have jinxed it. It's 100% is going to come up next somehow. Yeah, yeah. How do we go from Kate Beckinsale to this? We will. We just have to randomly pull LeBlanc, probably. And then we're then we're golden. How many yeah. movies is LeBlanc in? Can't be that many. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Well, welcome to like the Cinema Charlie Chain Zane. Gang Podcast. That's Nick Ricardo uh, still combing over the DVD of Ed that I gave him. I'm Andrew Auger. We are reaching the end of chain number 17, which started with... Um, Roger Moore, and we use Roger Moore and Christopher Walken's connection to A View to a Kill to get to this movie that we're reviewing today, Click, starring Adam Sandler, his 2006 comedy um, about the most powerful remote control in the world. Uh, it co-stars Kate Beckinsale as his wife, uh, and she's the reason we're watching this because she is the end of said chain, as mm-hmm. many of you probably know if you listen to this podcast and all 33 episodes that preceded it. Yeah, plus it's in the title of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, learn how to read, dummies. <laughs> Before we get into Click, let's talk about what we've been watching. So last week, we kind of teased we were going to talk about movies because um, we yeah. talked about shows. Uh, and you teased that you are now a Regal <laughs> Unlimited member. Yeah, sorry. I just realized the tagline on that front cover of Ed is minor league, major friendship. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> yeah, I did. I teased that I'm a Regal Unlimited member. Uh, did you see the movie Nope, by the way? Uh, I have not yet. Okay. Soon. Uh, Going to be watching it soon. I think you should watch Ed and Nope back to back. You'll <laughs> Those who have seen Nope okay. will know why I'm saying that. Um, it, it, it's a chimpanzee connection, basically. Both movies make you go, Nope. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. Um, so you're a Regal Unlimited member. Basically, that means you bought the subscription. Uh, That's you, right. you pay 25 bucks a month, right? Or uh, it's, like, it's like it's actually like $20.95. Yeah, even Maybe better. $21.95. Yeah, so. and you, you get unlimited movies. Uh, I have AMC A-list, so I get three a week. Uh, but I get to do advanced tickets. I don't know if you get to do that. Okay, yeah. So how does that work? So you get to do three movies a week. I pay $24.95 a month. I do three a week. Um, but I'm also allowed to use the A-list to book tickets in advance. Uh, if I remember correctly from Regal, I don't believe you can do that. Uh, I think it's 24 hours in advance max. Yeah, so, so I can do, do I can do weeks. Yeah, uh, okay. which is which is clutch living here because I already had my tickets for Avatar. I got my Spider Man yeah, tickets cool. ahead of time, stuff like that. So I did Regal. Most theaters in the city at this point that are chains are AMC owned, I think. Um, but um, if I'm going into Manhattan to a theater, uh, there's a good chance it's Regal Union Square. That's an outstanding theater. Yeah. Beautifully it, it's, designed theater. It's um I went back there recently and it was the first time in a long time I'd been there. And I was like, oh it it it, it got so much nicer. Because I used to go there in college. Maybe I just never went to that it's, theater. It's I don't know, gorgeous. It, yeah. Um, um the auditoriums are beautiful. Uh that their D box system is so the 40X thing that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh me and your roommate and our friend Nash, we we saw and our and your other roommate and friend Steve. We saw Top Gun Maverick in the 4DX there. Oh, that was a Union Freaking Square? Freaking okay. awesome. 
Yeah, and then and then I mainly got it because um, my I have one theater in Astoria, and that is uh, a, it's actually United Artists, which Regal owns now, and it's it's base level movie theater. Um, Gets the job done, but yeah, yeah. But I also that's like our that's like my Upper East Side one, which is like seven auditoriums. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. only get the major releases. You they don't get the specialized indie stuff. Yeah, get whatever. But I love base level movie i was just talking to a friend about this because like uh, a few of my friends like basically only go to movies at um or they tend to only go to movies at um like the, the nighthawk in the city which is like alamo draft house style kind of in like you know tables and your served food and stuff and i was telling them like that that's just a different experience to me like it, that doesn't scratch the itch of going to see a movie for me because yeah. it just feels different yeah and i want movie theater chain popcorn and stuff like that i just don't um, like so i a lot with that yeah. stuff too i don't love all the servers walking around and everything like that it completely takes me out of it yeah. yeah 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 i try not to go to those kind of theaters on a first run of a movie if, it, if it's a second or third time i'm seeing it then i'll right. indulge something like that that makes sense um yeah but so it was cool regal's been cool because uh, the story there's basically nobody there ever yeah and so like i i love seeing a movie in like late in its run in like an empty theater or something like that or like even like just a few people or something like that it's like great so um yeah it was basically i basically it was like i i, I and i get 10 percent off my popcorn so i basically was like it's worth it because i just want a room to go to to eat popcorn sometimes uh so i've seen two movies so far she said and uh thought it was solid uh it was a solid journalism movie um and then I also saw um, the Fableman, Steven Spielberg's movie, which so she said is about the New York Times investigation into Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, so there's uh, she said's based on one of two books that came out by the people who broke the Harvey Weinstein story. Uh, Megan Toohey and Jody Cantor wrote a book called She Said. They wrote the New York Times article, which was the first one to came, to come out concurrently at the same time as that Ronan Run. Farrow was writing a story, which is a through line through the movie as well because they're trying to beat yeah. him to publish. And um, he he wound up getting uh, kind of better sources and more extreme stories and corroborating stuff like that. And honestly, his book is also like much more entertaining. Um, he there was more aspects of like spies and stuff like he was being followed. And you know, at some point in this, and she said. They even mention like getting an email from somebody who was trying to befriend them, somebody who wants to like wanted them to speak at a conference, and they never really go back to it. But I know from both of the books, but mainly from Ronan's, that like that that was actually like um, like a a spy hired by the intelligence firm that Harvey Weinstein hired. Like uh, at one point, um, you know, during everything, Rose McGowan, who plays part in this movie, was like. Um, befriended for like a year by like a Harvey Weinstein spy. Um, so it's interesting that kind of like they adapted this and not their own in one. Um, not that, but I mean, this it's perfectly valid to adapt this one. I, I think it's more. It's because it's because it fits in the all the president's men spotlight kind of framework of the journalism drama more than like a Ronan Farrow specific piece. I think would be that's that feels like a character piece to me as opposed to this, which is. Yeah, I guess, yeah, but Ronan's also had the aspect, like, NBC News, you know, like, punted the story for a long time, and, like, there's, I think maybe part of the reason is, like, 
that they had didn't adapt it or have not yet. Uh, part of it is like he's very clear when he talks about the thing that he was just the reporter and like he tries to like elevate the sources that he talked to even the women and also give Jody and Megan credit for doing their story coming first and all that. Um, but he, uh, there's also stuff that's just not officially proven with like NBC's handling of the Weinstein story, but like it's pretty clear that like the president of NBC News um, was like agreeing to drop the story, but like they can't. So I think it's it's going to be it's much more open to defamation if they put that into a yeah in, into a movie. I think I found I found the film and I love journalism movies. I to be quite honest, I found it a little bit underwhelming. I thought it found it it hit this kind of weird in between where I either want a journalism movie to go really really deep into every single detail of the investigation. And then forget about building the characters out of the journalists. Or I wanted to do the opposite. I want them to be – I want these journalists to feel like three-dimensional people that we know a lot about. And then like maybe the the investigation details aren't as um, you know rigorous. Mm-hmm. I think Spotlight is a great example of them beat by beat showing you how the investigation developed. Um, for this, I felt like they cut a lot of corners. Um in terms of telling us how they got sources, how they got information, how people are just randomly cold calling them with information and stuff like that. Um, I didn't think it was a bad movie. I just, I, I wish it was better. Um, uh, it works as a powerful tribute to these victims and there are some really powerhouse performances by, um, Carrie Mulligan's really great. Uh, not as a victim, but as the, as the, one of the main journalists, Samantha Morton has a fantastic small role as one of the, people that was silenced that kind of tells her story to the two journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another actress that I wanted so to, like to highlight as well. Well, no, but so my, one of my things is I didn't think she was all that great in this, to be no. honest. Um, I think the material was a little bit above her level of skill set, And I thought she was fine, but I didn't wow. think she was great. I'm a fan uh, of Jennifer, that. Jennifer Ely is the other person I was thinking of. She plays Laura Madden, who's another one of the, Vic, uh, victims grown up okay. uh, who is going through her own personal crisis. Um, I thought the supporting performances were very impactful in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I there, you know, there it was a bit oversimplified and stuff. And so, like, I would dock it points for that. And I then I also kind of felt it earned back points in the way that it kind of navigated having like famous faces involved that they didn't really like you know they had they basically have to film around Gwyneth Paltrow because they rather than choose somebody to play Gwyneth Paltrow like they they um yes just have scenes where they talk about her basically and I thought it was like a pretty decent job of that and then Ashley Judd plays herself yeah so that was like it was interesting to me that they got Ashley Judd to play herself they have somebody playing a voice of Rose McGowan they have a the voice of Gwyneth Paltrow, but not the face of Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's a whole prologue, too. I don't know. How did you feel about the... There's a whole prologue section where we go into Megan Toohey's reporting on Trump before the 2016 election. And they literally use James Austin Johnson, who plays Trump on SNL's voice on the phone. Did they? Yes. <laughs> I, I I right away was like, this is this is an impression of Trump. And I was like, this is very distracting I knew to it was me. an impression, but... You know, now that you mention it, I... I don't think it was knee. Well, I, it was the basis for you know like this story coming to be, but coming coming out. But I guess I thought maybe it would come full circle. 
you know, you know, I'm fine with it because it was it was the basis that did kick off the larger thing, and then like by fluke, Weinstein really became like the um, the the like main boss of the Me Too movement in video game terms. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, yeah. So I I got it fit like that. Maybe that could be explained a little better. I don't remember Paltrow's voice being used in it, but I guess it's it listed in the credits. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I think and she's, was it actually her? Yeah, it's actually her voice. Okay, and um, Rose McGowan. It was but it's her not. Voice. But it's not. It wasn't Rose McGowan. It was an actress named. Oh, that I didn't know. Ke- okay. uh, Ke- Kelly McQuail played the voice of Rose McGowan. Gwyneth Paltrow voiced herself, but didn't appear. I don't know. Um, yeah. So that's she said. What about Fablemans? Um, yeah, kind of similar. Fablemans, I thought was good it like wasn't quite what i was looking for in a movie but i thought it was solid and i think it it earns points for just the inherent value of it being a movie that people will look back on as like spielberg's memoir ish movie it's a it's it's a coming of age story that's based on the life of spielberg and his upbringing as a jewish family traveling along away uh his love of film and the familial problems that he dealt with along the way basically is the best way to put it it is a it is a massive Oscar contender. It is considered the front runner for Best Picture by a lot of people, uh, mostly because of Spielberg and uh, his connection to the piece and how personal it is to him and the execution of it. People are loving this movie. And I think I, I've seen it twice now, actually. Um, I saw it uh, when it first came out, and then I watched it again a couple of weekends ago uh, with my girlfriend. And she, uh, I like the movie. I don't love the movie. Mm-hmm. It, if it wins Best Picture, I'm going to be like, okay. I, I mean, I'll understand why, but I'm not going to be like over the moon that it won. Right. Um, yeah, you can go a little bit. Why, why no, wasn't it for sense. you? Why what? Wasn't it for you? Um, It was just kind of that. It, 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 I, I kind of felt like I kind of wish that there was more to the story a little bit. Um, it felt like kind of a straight trajectory of like... Um, yeah, I kind of just wish more was happening. Uh, but I also, I'm like toward the end, there's, you know, like the whole, there's like, uh, I I guess without spoiling it, I, I didn't really, some of the character stuff didn't feel like earned at the end, like the redemption of like the bully and stuff like that. But, um, but I also think like it will be and should be viewed as, basically his biopic um but he clearly was just not comfortable to, he needed to fictionalize it like he has said that like he you know put off doing the movie for a long time he was not comfortable like putting his his family's name to um it feels like you're his watching parents it. names to actions that yeah he's embarrassed by and they're embarrassed by. yeah uh it, it feels like a little bit like therapy at points like we're sitting through his therapeutic expression of I, I trauma seems too strong mm. um but just like the the things that have bothered him for the entirety of his life and right. for me the movie really pops when it goes into his love of film uh the character uh of sammy fableman who is his surrogate played beautifully by uh gabriel labelle uh in a role that will probably make him a star possibly garner him an oscar nomination i thought he was very great uh in the role of sammy uh, mm-hmm. But as you see this character kind of 
it's it starts with one just one night that he goes to the to the theater and he's mesmerized by uh like a special effects of a train crash in in a movie that he saw in the 50s Mm -hmm. um and from there it just like it just snowballs into him being so creative with his editing and being creative and clearly has a natural eye for the thing that's one of the like the uh most enjoyable things on a surface level is just seeing the practical effects the ingenuity of his you know his ability and probably steven spielberg's ability growing up to apply practical effects in the yeah so that that was and, and there's a there's a again without spoiling it but there's a couple of sequences towards the end that i think are like among the best movies uh, best moments in a movie this year uh particularly the final two or three scenes of the film i think are phenomenal in terms of that i had a little bit more of an issue with some of the melodrama of the family stuff um i think my hot take of the year is that i really didn't like michelle williams that much in this i think she's playing kind of like and i think she was directed to do this i don't think this is her fault but the the character she's playing as his mother uh is so whimsical and over the top and does some things in the film that are just like insufferable and i like i think the movie wants you to sympathize with her to an extent i think i it treats her as this flawed personality but at the same time i think it wants you to like her and i just never liked her never was on her side about anything like like she tries to justify things she does and it doesn't work right um like i said michelle williams is performance is a little grating to me i don't know i think that's going to age poorly because she's probably going to get an oscar nomination but well i feel like it's out there leans though into just it, it you know this kind of unhinged person like an uh an uh unhinged but not dangerous person kind of or like an unbalanced i mean not unhinged, you know uh, unbalanced person. is a good way to put it because i think if i think i would have been a little bit more for and again i don't want to get into specifics because there's a big shoe drop in this film that happens about halfway yeah. through um and i think i would have been a little bit more on board with it if they leaned into the fact that she clearly is kind of ill like she's literally like Again, there's Paul Dano plays her husband. Do and maybe it's more just because of the time they were in. Like kind of more of a discussion. I don't know. I just maybe maybe it comes down to just the execution didn't work for me very well with that character. Now on the other hand, I think I loved Paul Dano in this movie, and I thought he was fantastic, and I think he's definitely going to garner some awards buzz as well. Judd Hirsch is a great sequence. Really liked Judd Hirsch's sequence also love that he gets into a back of a taxi that's taxiing on top because he was in taxi not saying it was a not saying it was a uh, a reference but i just really enjoyed seeing judd hirsch in a taxi again yeah uh this there, this is just an all like <laughs> a little uh little detail liked about that by the way uh the cabbie tries to take his luggage and he just like doesn't give up the luggage yeah it's very cool. very good i i i, I <laughs> i've cool. watched a lot of judd hirsch recently so Really? Yeah. I also watched Superior Donuts, the TV show. Um, Which we've discussed. Yeah. So that's like, I've, I've seen a lot of Judd Hirsch recently. Uh, just an all-star crew behind this movie. Obviously, Spielberg co-wrote with Tony Kushner, who's his longtime collaborator. Uh, Janusz Kaminski is his longtime cinematographer, filmed this movie. Uh, John Williams, it's believed to be his second to last score ever uh, with the new Indiana Jones coming out. That's believed. He, he's rumored to like going to be retiring after that and of course considered by many to be the greatest composer ever um a lot of people feel like this is a final bow for this great collaborative team um Mm -hmm. kathleen kennedy is a producer on it as well um and great i mean 
I, I liked it. I just, I didn't fall in love with it like I wanted to. And I gave it two chances, so. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to treat that as my what I've been watching because I think we need to move on. Sure. Yeah. I was considering talking about Glass Onion, uh, but that feels fruitless uh, unless you've seen it. Um, because yeah, the, the, it, it's very hard to walk around what happens in that movie. Um, I could maybe talk about the first 30 minutes and then after that, it's just like, I'll be, I'd be ruining your experience. Right. It's got a lot of glass layers to it. Exactly. What did you say? Why did you just say, you could have just said layers. Because of glass onion. Yeah. And you'll understand why it's called that when you see it. Is glass a type of onion? No. Okay. I, I don't know. I'm not an onion expert, but not, okay. not in this context. Can somebody call in and ask and tell us if glass <laughs> type of onion? Yeah. The hotline's 911. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cinema Chain Gang Podcast, episode 33. Four. Four. 34. Yeah. Speaking of an emergency in 911, let's turn to our review of uh, 2006's Click. Did we do an intro yet? That was bad. Yeah. Oh, like, okay. Like 25 minutes ago. Oh, okay. No, that's good. That's good. Yeah. That's good timing then. Yeah. Good. Cool. <laughs> let's fast forward. That um, was good. Click is directed by Frank Karachi, who is a longtime Adam Sandler collaborator he directed the wedding singer the water boy click and then he kind of uh moved over to his buddy kevin's james i must say kevin smith for a little bit he, he did a uh, zookeeper and here comes the boom uh which are two bad movies in my opinion but uh i wouldn't put them on the same level but sure both each like other, together but... wait which one is better uh boom it's better than zookeeper yeah for sure oh yeah, yeah um, yes yeah. yeah uh and then he all came back to sandler uh, and directed Blended and The Ridiculous Six, which is terrible. Yeah, that I agree with. Um, uh, uh, Frank Caracci, um met one of his siblings once at like How? based on a school event kind of thing. I don't know. My parents had to like hold something at their at our house, and uh, one of his siblings was there. And you're like, oh, my brother directs movies. His name's Frank Caracci. It's like, uh, so whenever I see his name, I'm like that's really cool. That is cool. Yes. Yeah. Well, say I think I don't know. He, uh, I would say out of these movies, it's not, it's not a great track record for me personally. I like The Wedding Singer. Uh, well, I mean, The Wedding Singer, much I would basically call an iconic movie at this point. Yeah. That's, uh, pretty much the only one of these movies that I listed that I like. Except for maybe, click, maybe. We'll, we'll get into it. Sure. Uh, this came out in June of 2006. This is right in the height of Adam Sandler's box office power. Uh, back in the time where a, PG-13 comedy could open in the middle of summer and do numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Sandler's hot streak, of course, is probably late 90s to mid 2000s. Yeah. Probably cooled off around, I'd say his last bona fide major, major hit off the top of my head, led by himself, is probably You Don't Mess With the Zohan. Mm-hmm. Grown Ups, I don't count because it's kind of a collaborative, right. but I guess it's built on his brand. And Funny People is more of a uh, different, more Judd Apatow. Yeah, that doesn't count, count really. Um, Jack and Jill was a hit too, against all odds. But I mean, the thing is, and this goes back into the whole thing of like Netflix and their data. But like all Sandler movies are box office wise, almost all of them tend to be hits. Um, and that you know is its own conversation for whatever reason. But uh, I do remember feeling like growing up, Click, like a few years after Click, I, I kind of looked back on Click as like the last gasp of like that peak peak sandler i would um, agree with that right before after that it kind of solidified 
every comedy he does is going to have the same vibe and comes with a real specific judgment from a lot of people. Yeah, because and the so next one like was Chuck and Larry, which is a movie I detest and came out the next year. Okay. So it's Chuck. It, it, it goes like the run in the 2000s was, I mean, you've got all the, the 90s ones with Billy Madison, Gilmore, Wedding Singer, Waterboy, Big Daddy. And then it goes Little Nicky, Mr. Deeds. I, I'm taking out like Punch Drug Love. I'm not counting all that. Little Nicky, Mr. Deeds, Anger Management, Eight Crazy Nights, 50 First Dates, Longest Yard, Click. That's a pretty okay. solid run of movies in right. terms of box office success plus not terrible quality. Right. Then you have a changeover for me, which is box office success, but pretty bad movies. This is Again, this is my opinion. Chuck and Larry, Don't Mess With the Zohan, Bedtime Stories, Grown Ups, Just Go With It, Jack and Jill, Grown Ups 2, Blended, Pixels, Ridiculous 6. That's a pretty bad run for me. Okay. And then yeah. in recent years, he's been better. Uh, I mean, you've got the Uncut Gems and the Hustles of the world, but you've also got Hubie Halloween and Murder Mystery are definitely better than um, that run that I just said. The point I'm trying to make is this came out, I believe, Father's Day weekend in 2006. It went a budget of $82.5 million, mm. which is a lot of money. And you can see it too. There's a lot here going on, above average amount of like visual effects and makeup work. And yeah. Fun fact, this is the only Sandler-produced yep. movie to be nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, for the makeup work. For the makeup work. Um, basically launching into the, the the cleanest version of the premise. Michael Newman, he's this architect. Uh, he is a workaholic, basically. He's he's, an, he's, a, he's a good father. I don't think they, they paint him as a bad father and, right. and husband, but he definitely prioritizes his career. career. Uh which, I mean, you could argue that Kate Beckinsale is kind of giving him a hard time for trying to provide for the family. Again, he's still showing up at these events. He's just showing up a little bit late. Like, he's not completely skipping the swim meets. Uh, mm. that, that's something that's always bothered me in movies is like when the wife character or like the kids are like, you're you're not there for me. You're always working. And he's like, yeah, I'm trying to make money for you, man. Like, Yeah, I think it was. Well, we'll get into it. But I think it was, you know, um, kind of about how that was going to continue and get worse if he didn't nip it in the bud. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Um, I'm not saying the movie went too hard on him on that. Right. I'm just saying that's a thing that bothers me in, in films. Uh, so he, through, through circumstances that are like whatever, uh, he, he goes to try to find a universal remote uh, and he ends up in Bed Bath & Beyond because everything else is closed and because Bed Bath & Beyond probably got paid, probably paid to have their name in the movie. Uh, well, but, and he goes to the Beyond section, right, which, which I always love. Which is a great gag, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he finds Christopher Walken's character, Morty, uh, who we learn more about in the film. But for right now, he's this mysterious presence who like lives in his own little uh, gadget area of the Bed Bath & Beyond, and he gives him the remote. And basically what the remote does is he can manipulate time and reality with it. He can pause people if he thinks that you know, he wants to do yeah. something to them or he wants to like kind of collect his thoughts or whatever. He can fast forward through arguments. He can fast forward through a bunch of things. Um, he can add subtitles. He can change the language that he's hearing. Uh, yeah. Everything you can do with a remote. He can see a main menu of his life. Memories, and yeah. He can f rewind back to memories. Yeah. It's such a high concept. Um, and it's a good concept. It's, it's a very interesting idea. One that mostly just gives way to silly Adam Sandler gags for a while. And then in about the late second act, third act, it, it finds its footing as an actual like dramedy 
Uh, yeah. Which has always been the most surprising thing about this movie to me. Yeah. Um, it finds an extra gear that puts it a little bit above the mediocrity of his. Yeah. This, this, and I always kind of thought of this apart from the other movies as much as I said it was the MSP because it was mainly comedy, but there also, it had this element of dramatic Adam Sandler in it that obviously movies now, there are Oscar buzz movies that have had that in the past few years. There's other ones people don't talk about that have had that that he was really good in. But uh, Click, I always associated with like having this. I remember watching it and, and just like being really sad for Adam Sandler's character and like. Oh, my mom is. My mom cries for this movie. Yeah, yeah. And, like having this like emotional moment for it. I was like, it's really good. And going back and watching it now, I was surprised, and this is not to knock the scene, I was surprised at. Um, how little kind of like it, it's not as much as I thought it was I want to say how little substance but it's not there is substance but it, I just thought I remembered it almost as suddenly a more uneven movie when I watched it growing up maybe that's just because of what my impression of Adam Sandler movies were um, also by the way not the first we'll circle back to this not the first Adam Sandler movie um, I have almost cried or cried during uh, first movie I ever cried during was an Adam Sandler movie. I'll let you think about what that is until the end of the episode. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, I, going back, I, I don't know. I, maybe it's just I've seen more dramatic Adam Sandler now, and I've seen more dramatic movies in general, but it feels not as weighty to me anymore. Oh, no. Yeah. This, this is kind of him teasing and testing the waters to see, like, am I capable of actually putting a performance together yeah. that, you know, something like, obviously, funny, funny people even a couple years later, does very similar things mm. to this, especially with the whole cancer through line in that. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, the more, t- like you're, basically the movie becomes a parable about appreciating life and all the things in life that are of value to you, specifically your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is like a comedic version of It's a Wonderful Life, I think is the, the best comp to it. The one that I always come back to because It's a Wonderful Life is all about George Bailey and it's very fitting for the holiday season that we're mm. in right now. George Bailey looking down at his life and seeing how good he has it and what life would be like if he didn't exist um, and how much worse it would be for him and for everybody else, basically. Um, yeah. So it's a little different in this one because it's Sandler realizing that he can't just be on autopilot the entire time. He has to be invested in the small moments of life as well as the big ones. Um and there's a universality to that message that really comes through, even if the movie itself is, like you said, it's not the it's not the most subtle movie in the world. It's certainly not the deepest movie. It's very juvenile at points. Mm-hmm. It is aged very poorly in certain ways uh, in terms of sexism, racism, and transphobiaism. I don't think that's mm-hmm. a word, but you know what I mean. Right. Um, I don't find this very funny, to be honest, but I do, I did chuckle a few times and it does enough dramatically that I would give it a mild thumbs up i think sure yeah my, I, i've mild seen the, for the record i have seen this movie before. right right yeah. yeah same um yeah i agree with that like a mild thumbs up of a movie it's in a way one of his in the world of his comedies especially like I don't, aside from what you really think of as the classics like it's a bit above par there you know yeah even though that above par is worse um <laughs> No, I, I no, but yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, you can't say it's under par because it sounds wrong. Yeah, it's just not. It's it's not. Yeah, they talk about that in the office. Um, 
but yeah, look, I, I like it. You know, it felt um, reminiscent in some ways of Back to the Future to me um, in terms of the overall message it was trying to do, the way it's got, not saying it's as good. Um, Back to the Future is a perfect movie, in my opinion. Like, and but it, it's, it's a mixture of what it's trying to do and just the, the makeup and the effects. Um, uh, Definitely. They had the same style and stuff, even like the way they aged them and stuff like that. Like seeing old Henry Winkler reminded me of old Michael J. Fox. And like, so it, yeah, um, I don't know. It, it, it's cool. Like, I, I'm glad the movie exists as far as its concept and stuff like that. Like, it's it's definitely not the um, it's definitely one of the more valuable Adam Sandler installments in, you know, in his filmography in terms of like reasons for it to exist. Yeah. You know? um, and it also oddly like did not have a ton of, I don't think, plot holes for a movie that is going to really like lend itself to having plot holes, especially when it's a comedy that like they usually don't care about fixing them, you know? Yeah, I think I, I think just in general they invest in the story more than they usually do because they yeah, realize they yeah, have yeah, to. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You totally. can't you can't just like a lot of Sandler movies are just him. It's him on vacation, or it's him vibing, or it's just right. he he builds the entire movie around a, a persona and a character. And here he's playing like a slightly different version. It's definitely a more mature version of the man child that we yeah, often sure. see. Like obviously he's so concerned about. Provide it. He has his little. He has his moments where he does the voice, and, ooh, and he, yeah. you know, like he does the. There's a whole sequence where he j- is changing his, his uh, the color of his face, and he's doing right. doing the Hulk, and he's doing uh, Barney, and just singing songs and stuff. Um, but this is it. This, he's stretching himself, basically. I'm saying, the, yeah. The character is in service of the plot, as opposed to the bare bones plot being in service of Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore's quirks or whatever. I'm not saying those are bad movies. I'm just saying it's a different style. I don't think it should be called click. Should be called remote. I don't know. Like there's not a lot of clicking really. What about control? But that's not as like, it is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I saw some name of a Leota movie though. So yeah. Um, But it is, (laughs) of um, course it is. um, It, well, what do you call, what do you call the TV remote? What did you call it growing up in the 90s? Remote control. Especially? Remote control. Um, other people call it a clicker yeah. or a remote. It's a very geographical thing. Um, so I, it's second most common, I would call it the remote. And that's what I call it now a lot. What I used to call it growing up was actually the flicker. Have you ever heard of that? No. Not the clicker, the flicker. No. I don't know why. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how common it is. I always used to like, it would be like, where's the flicker? No one stopped you. <laughs> it wasn't just me. My whole family said that. Okay. And like, I, it wasn't a bit. <laughs> so I don't know. I think this movie should be called Flicka, like the horse. <laughs> oh, talk about a pole. That's a Dennis Quaid movie, isn't it? Is it? Wait, is Flicka a real horse? I don't know. It's a movie about a horse though, right? Yeah. Uh, Dennis Quaid, or am I just making that up? No, Tim McGraw. No, I'm thinking of Dreamer. With uh, with Dakota Fanning and Dennis Quaid. What's more marketable, though? I mean, Click is a fine marketable title. No, it is. It's gets good. the point across. I think we should ride. Let's run down like how it plays out, kind of. Oh yeah, let's do that. So basically, what happens? Sandler gets the remote from Morty, Christopher Walken, who is great in this movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Sure. The actual laugh out loud moments I had mostly came from him. There's one point where like Sandler has his 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 business card and tries to call him, and then he looks up and Christopher Walken's already there, but he's just in black silhouette. And I cracked up at that part. Like really? Sandler Sandler overdoes it because he throws himself through the glass table and breaks it. But just just the silhouette of Christopher Walken's stupid wig. <laughs> um. So he gives him the remote. Of course, he uses it to his own gain to try to get more work done. He uses it to, you know, like fast forward through different parts to get insight and basically insider trade about the architecture people he's working with to get an advantage on his boss, played by David Hasselhoff, um, to mute arguments and people being shrill and annoying, both his wife and or his wife's friend, played by Jennifer Coolidge and so on and so forth. Um, And then he realizes that he like. He gets he, he gets bummed out at one point because he doesn't get a promotion that he wants. So he tries to fast forward to when he gets the promotion and then he ends up missing an entire year. Mm. Um, and then from then on, the, the remote goes out of control. He is jumping th- all throughout time. He jumps five years at one point. Yeah, he's a remote self-learning. Yeah. And it's at bait for that time. It's basically alluding to um, TiVo, you know, an early algorithm technology. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then basically, so basically it jumps when, whenever something triggers it, it jumps to a point that he can't control. Uh, and his life is slowly spiraling pretty much out of control. He's getting more successful in his business, but he's gained a bunch of weight. He's not attractive anymore. His wife has left him for a character that was barely mentioned, to be honest, previously in the movie. Like they obviously set him up as someone that's supposed to be like a surrogate father figure to the kids, Sean Astin's character. Mm. Um, but then all of a sudden he just plays a major role in like the third act. Um, I felt they, like I saw it coming. They 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 should have. In- was- no no no. I'm not saying they didn't telegraph it. I'm saying they could have included another scene or two with that character so that we had more of an investment when he just shows up and happens to be the new husband. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you can make the argument though that there's a lot you're not seeing because the concept is that a lot of times passing. Right. Um. And then and then from there things just get worse and worse for him. They get a little better and then they get worse and then health wise he gets worse and so on and so forth. That sets yeah. up what, what I need to for you to poke holes in it. <laughs> well, um, what I was wondering was the re- capability of the remote to rewind. They do establish that you can play back memories. You think of a memory, hit the rewind button on the remote, it'll go back and Adam Sandler can watch younger version of himself, be it minutes or years having an interaction with somebody. But there's a one or two points where like he rewinds reality. He doesn't alter it, but he rewinds it. And it just kind of, uh, basically I wanted to know if there were ways for him to alter the past. I mean, I think in some way there is like, it kind of raised the question for me of like, what if he rewound all the way back to the memory of the beginning and like, Planted a note for himself or something. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think of the times where he's gone. When he goes back in the past, he can pause and stuff. But do, do they ever do that? I don't I don't remember. Like he goes to the camping trip. There's where- a point where he rewinds and then, you know, doesn't alter the past. But it's like telling his father he loves him. It's the last time that like he would see his dad. But like it's like while everything is frozen and stuff yeah. like that. I... I- but he also, um, there's a point where he, so actually, yeah, I guess not. There's a point where he pauses, then gets it, like writes a note, puts it in somebody's pocket, kicks Sean Aston in the balls, you know? Um, 
Yeah, okay. I, I suppose maybe the rule then is that you can't, if you're rewinding, you can't alter. Yeah, but they should have established that. You're right. And I think they should there's have said still- so. There should have been a line. Yeah, that's technically like, there's still ways around it, I think. Like Christopher Walken should have been like, you're just a, you're just a spectator here, basically. Yeah, or like- it just kind of raises the question. I know this is not the movie that is going to be flawless, but it raises the question of like, well, he could get out of the cycle of like working at his job by like you know um, pausing it and then like destroying his office or something uh, like that. I don't know. My my biggest problem with the the going back to the past is they at one point DH Henry Winkler's character in, mm-hmm. in a hideous, absolutely hideous display of 2006 cgi like we we see a lot of movies now that dh characters um and old actors that do it beautifully uh they're gonna do it with harrison ford in the new indiana jones coming up and it, it like if you look at the trailer um it's it's flawless it looks like it looks like harrison ford in the 1980s this looks like an abomination of Henry Winkler. What the what you thought he looked like in the seventies? Um, they just the technology was not ready. That was my that was my big takeaway from our trips to the past and click. Oh, the other thing I also wanted to point out is that like they kind of had a joke that broke the conceit of the remote, which was like he fast forwarded through having sex with his wife, but then like the joke is like, oh, it it happened really quick. And he's like, uh, they, she was like, I didn't want it to happen that quick. And as he didn't either. And they show a clock and they're like, oh, it was like two minutes. Yeah. But like, and the joke was supposed to be like, it's because he fast forwarded. But like, that also breaks the conceit of like what it is. You know what I mean? Of what the remote is. Or it's just hat on a hat, joke within a joke. And it's like not necessary. And that kind of like, I don't know, it took away from like what, again, what otherwise is mostly a pretty... I mean, there's some, there's, there are some things, yeah, like, I mean, they're not, actually, actually, no, I'm not even going to go negative, negative on them. I thought, I found a lot of the gags amusing, if not hilarious with the, uh, remote. Like, for example, he can do picture and picture and watch the game while he's in the middle of an argument. Yeah. Uh, I thought the Telemundo stuff was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that James Earl Jones narrates his, that they got James Earl Jones, first of all, to do this at all. And the fact that he narrates like his life. And then he he does a lot of voiceover work, yeah. Yeah. What's also interesting is the way he first learns that Adam Sandler first becomes aware as a character of the remote's abilities is he holds it up to his dog to mute his, to lower the volume on his dog, which in theory, so he's doing that as like a bit to himself. You know what I mean? But it was just a weird choice to make because I I don't know. They don't really establish that he's done that before. I yeah. can absolutely see it happening. Um, there, uh, if I had a nitpick, another thing that they do is they they allow him to change the aspect ratio of what he's looking at, so he can look at he can make something panorama or he can make something stretched out. Mm-hmm. But then it also changes the audio. I don't understand why that would happen. Like Hasselhoff's talking and he changes the audio. He changes the aspect ratio of him oh, to yeah, that's to, to widescreen or whatever, and then he starts talking like this, and it's like why would why why would that affect the audio? It wouldn't. Well, maybe because of the shape of his body, like it's affecting the actual vocal, you know, it's actually changing the physics of Hasselhoff's character. Yeah. But then do other people see that happening? I don't know. Like that's- I don't know. Um, and if they don't, that, yeah, then then how do they see his tan? Whatever. Like, the, the entire the entire idea of the remote is like a demon spawn thing, because uh, we find out that Morty is an angel of death um, by the end of it, and he's trying to collect a soul, basically. Um but then he's sympathetic towards Michael by the end, and when he actually passes away, he gives him another chance. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, movie ends also, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, with a, uh, at the very end of the credits is a dedication from Adam Sandler to his parents, where he wrote them basically a little heartfelt note that nobody's going to read because it's, it scrolls by way too fast. It was in really small font. Uh, but it was nice, and you could tell that he kind of made this movie for, <laughs> for his family. Uh, I took a picture of it, and I'm going to pull it up, and I'm going to uh, remember what it says, because it was... Uh, I was like, oh, this is a nice little touching um, mm. thing. Um, so this movie is dedicated to my mom and dad and to all our parents who never thought twice about putting their family first. And to my darling wife and daughter, now he has two, thanks for making it so easy for me to want to do the same. It was very nice. Do you have a son as well? No, he has two daughters. Oh, okay. There was the actor that played him in this when he was young, and I thought that was his son. But I think that's the actor that plays his son in Grown Ups as well. Probably. Let me let me do a quick search on that. He has. Um, so he, he doesn't he, actually have a son. No, uh, he has a nephew named Jared Sandler who who is now kind of like part of the the stable of of actors um, and friends who are in his movies. Right. There's a lot of familiar faces in this, like. Uh, Obviously, like you can run them all down. Like Sean Astin was in Fifty First Dates, right? Yeah. So he he shows up again here. Uh, Rob Schneider plays uh, Prince Habib- Habibu. He plays a Saudi prince. Yeah. He plays a different race in every one of these movies. Yeah. Ugh, was not happy to see him. Terry Crews is in this for one scene. Yeah. Doesn't even have any lines. He's just singing at one point. And he mutes him. Love seeing him always. Uh, I hate Nick Swartzen. Uh, I think he oh, is. I, I think he's great. Really? Yeah. I love I, he's probably my least favorite actor. Well, I mean, I, I think actually, he's atrocious in everything that he's in. Interesting. I mean, I haven't, you know, around this era is like the stuff that I've seen of him. Yeah. Um. No, but I'm, uh, but I like him from stuff of that. This era. was like one of his first times being introduced to the trope, the troop. I feel like he he becomes like an right. actual member with a lot of speaking parts and like just go with it and Jack and Jill and and mm-hmm. grown ups and stuff like that, but. Oh man, I, I was not happy to see him. Um, oh, yeah, no, I, I love like the the Rachel Dratch the natural affectation that he is in this as well as his assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, her big bit is that she constantly asks him if he can go to the she can go to the bathroom. Yeah, um, instead of just going by herself. Mm-hmm. Um, which <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of other just like people. I mean, obviously we talked about Henry Winkler. David Hasselhoff is pretty funny. Yeah. in this he's okay. Um, Jonah Hill plays his son for one scene. Pre super bad, pre knocked up. Yep, when he's the fat son on the couch. That's it, not Jonah Hill. Yeah, hundred percent is Jonah Hill. One hundred percent. I have it up in front of me. Seriously? Yep. I have to look up a picture. He, he's Ben at seven. He's his son Ben at seventeen years old. That was the year that Accepted came out. So this was the beginning of Jonah Hill's career, basically. To to put it frankly, the next year he was in Knocked Up, and then he of course starred in Superbad, and that launched him to a whole other stratosphere of notoriety. Oh my God! It's the prosthetic nose. Yeah, I, but he still had the he had the curly hair from Superbad. He looks like the guy from Superbad. Uh, speaking of the prosthetic nose, talk about the makeup in this movie. We talked about how well done it is. When when Sandler wakes up and he's fat in like twenty, I think they say it's twenty seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie this movie takes us to twenty twenty three. I think by the way. Yeah, the, the uh, prior to the end of the movie, there's a gravestone scene. Um, where his father died, that was 2021. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, we, uh, we talked about how a view to a kill view technology going forward uh, yeah. last week. Click has kind of an amusing 
look at how technology would develop as well. And like this movie was made in 2006 and in 2017, he's getting like Skype hologram calls from David Hasselhoff in Morocco. <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess they were a little correct. Um, but the makeup is great on Sandler in yeah. terms of the fat suit. Uh, it's very Nutty Professor-esque. Uh, like what Eddie Murphy was dressed up like in that. And of course, all the different changes he went through in that. Um, you know, Ben's wedding actually is in 2029. So it goes. Oh, so it even goes further. Now. Okay. Um, but I, you're talking, just it reminded me because you were talking about the people involved before. I, I know like Sandler is like polarizing and stuff. And I don't find a lot of his comedy funny. It just doesn't connect with me at all. Like the later stuff. And it shocks me that a lot of people do. But like I have, I will never begrudge Adam Sandler. I love who Adam Sandler is. I love that he's he's just a guy who's able to make these movies and he makes them with his friends and they're funny to him. And for whatever reason, they're funny to enough of America that like, I don't like, I, I will not stand for, even though I hate the like most of the last few comedies he's done, I will not stand for Adam Sandler slander for that reason. Because I'm like, uh, he's doing... Okay, well, I... He's a great person. I, I will slander him a bit because okay. I think he we we know how talented he is and for him to put the... He doesn't do this anymore. He is, He's moved past this. But that Grown Ups era, it's, it's, the, it's the laziest productions ever. You know what I mean? There are people that are genuinely writing good scripts and stuff like that and working hard to get their get their work out there. And he was but just I, he was literally putting out things that they it seems like they wrote the script in 25 minutes. Yeah, that's just totally. a level. It, there's so many first drafts, but all but for whatever reason, it's not endearing breaking to me. the box office enough. Right. But it wasn't endearing to me to watch him go on vacation with his friends and just go with it and blend it and stuff like that. No, but I don't think it needs to be. You know what I mean? I think it. I think okay. I disagree with that. But I don't think it needs to be endearing. I think it specifically doesn't need to be endearing to you. It's endearing to somebody with uh, with what I would call lesser taste. But it's endearing to somebody. You know. Um, I, I, I don't dislike more, Adam Sandler. I just think he's frustrated me for a long time. Um, the other thing, and now he's you're not seeing this, but like he's finally clicked with his dramatic roles, but. And even nope, his, no it, pun intended. Wow. Um, even his comedies have gotten it, better. But no. Uh, but Murder Mystery is solid. Oh, yeah. But I mean, like, Ridiculous Hubie, Six you're is the awful. one that talks about Hubie Halloween all the time. Yeah, but like, Ridiculous Six is awful. Okay. And that, also, that was, like, Hubie's not. Ridiculous great. Six was seven years ago. Yeah, but I'm saying, I still think you're below Big Daddy. Oh, yeah. Madison era. Oh, That's, okay, okay, I, I'm yeah, saying they're getting agree. better from Ridiculous from, Six okay. era. Yeah. Okay. Um, At least these movies have plots now. Yeah. Somebody, uh, I there's a, a movie that he's dramatic in that I really like. And the director was explaining that, like, you know, at the time, like, Sandler would be really nervous to do these dramatic roles. And then he would do great in them. But for whatever reason, the movies would not really do very well or like be hits because people don't want to see and him do that right and and like there was also i think kind of just like flukes and stuff like that and then that made him not take on roles like that and just go more into like the area that he was doing now he's in like these oscar ones and like it you know it, it, and it, he has like safety collaborations and he's in hustle and stuff like that where it's like Obviously, he kind of is now viewing like two sides of his career. It'll be interesting to see if he merges them. Yeah. And I know like Punch Drunk, but that's also like that's not. 
Boy, I, he, I view that very much as an outlier because it's not a mainstream drug. Uh, boy, he is outstanding. He is outstanding in that movie, Punch Drunk Love. I am not overly impressed with it. Oh, I love that movie. I think it's phenomenal. And I'm not overly impressed with him in it. I think he's great in it, but... Wait, what does that mean then? But I'm not But I'm not like, oh, that's bad, phenomenal. No, that's not. You just said the same thing I said. You said, I'm not overly impressed with him. And then you said, I'm, I think he's great in it. I don't think he's phenomenal in it. Whatever. It's, he's great. It, it, it's a, he's a good actor. No, he's a good actor in it. But by no means do I think that's like the peak of his dramatic acting by any means. Oh, okay. I never said that. <laughs> but I think, no, like it's, I just don't care about the movie is what I'm saying. Gotcha. I think, un, I think Uncut Gems, Adam Sandler, and Rain Over Me, Adam Sandler are his best dramatic work. And Meyerowitz stories. He's phenomenal in that too. Yeah, but it's a bit. It's different. I'm I'm talking more about. He's more playing it straight, and I'm talking about more his most transformative, successfully transformative dramatic roles are Uncut Gems and Rain Over Me. So yeah, he where he's really affecting a character, right? Well, and stuff like that. Why I think he's so effective in Punch Drunk Love, personally, is because he he's kind of he's still in a way playing the Sandler role. It's just in a completely different tone. Mm-hmm. Can see that same thing with funny people same thing with funny people very similar funny people i like yeah um all right we're not even talking about click anymore so we should get back on track and then wrap it up here um no i feel like it's but it but it's also like i don't know that you can separate them because the thing is like there's such a judgment of sandler in every and i think every right, sandler conversation and i think like, rightfully so but it, we'll have to disagree about that i don't think it's not rightfully so for sure no, no it's just yeah i i want to i want to touch on the fact that He's this big architect. He's clearly making enough money to own a house and stuff like that. But then, like, he doesn't get the promotion and they have to bring two bikes back. Like, he's like, Kate Beckinsale's like, oh, we're going to have to break. I think she's fine in this movie, by the way, if we're going to touch on the, mm-hmm. the reason we're watching it. Um, she's fine. She's I think no, bikes she, were expensive back then. <laughs> maybe. I guess. I guess. I, but well, like, he didn't have the He money clearly there. makes a lot of money, enough money. I guess. They own a house, they have two beautiful children, they have a dog. Yeah, I guess. Can't afford two bikes? I don't know. They couldn't... Now, the Kate Spade bag is different. Like, that's probably a lot of money. I did not... I There was a Kate Spade bag in the movie? She... Kate Beckinsale's like, oh, I've always wanted a Kate Spade bag, and then he buys it for her the same time he buys the bikes. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. I see. Um, if I, let me see. Bikes... Yeah, but they were Huffies, man. That was like the Lexus of bikes. Bikes on Amazon right now. It looks like, like a comparable one right now I'm looking at. It's like... I don't know, 150 I think he they were he more can't afford than. $300? I think there were more then. I don't know. You think you think there were... Wait, you think the bikes were more expensive in 2006? No way. Not adjusting for inflation, but I think maybe the ratio, you know, the value of them was more. The oh, hard, bike but, hardware cost more then. But, but why? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I just think it did. Okay. I think it did. It felt like a big deal when I got a bike. <laughs> okay, but you also were 13 then. Yeah, I guess. Hmm. I hmm. don't know. I, I, you're talking to the wrong person. I've, I have <laughs> bought bikes, then left them behind. My, I've had, a, I brought a bike to the city, uh, rode it a few times, and I just literally left a chain to a, to a pole on 81st, and it's been there for a year and a half now. Wait, what? Yeah. Tell me that again. What? Yeah. See. What? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> wait, say that again. I. Oh. Okay. I, I bought. I have a bike. Yeah. In the city. I rode it a few times. It's chained to one of the bike racks 
on 81st and 1st, right next to the Gracie Muse Diner, which is right okay. where I used to live. And it's just been there for a year and a half. And you haven't moved that site? Is it moved. still there? I have no idea. I haven't checked in a while. It's probably not there anymore. Yeah, they can have it. Whatever. <laughs> I wasn't using it anymore. Was this a brand new bike? No, I, it was like two, three years old. Okay. Well, you just... <laughs> that's I just funny, left though. it, yeah. Interesting. There's no room for it in our apartment anyway. I wonder if it's still there, but now you have to find it. Yeah, we have to go back. I don't yeah. feel like going back to that street sometimes, though. There's a lot of rats over there. <laughs> but you definitely don't want the bike. No. Uh, any other thoughts on Click? Um, there was an O'Doyle in Click. I think most Sandler movies have an O'Doyle, right? I, I did have that in my notes. Yeah, me too. Obviously, that's a reference to O'Doyle rules from Billy Madison. Uh, that kid, by the way, uh, is uh, Cameron Monaghan, uh, who has played uh, key roles in, in shows like Shameless and... He played the Joker on Gotham, and he was he was the uh, the model for a Star Wars game. Uh, basically, O'Doyle became somebody. <laughs> <laughs> or what was the kid's name? O'Doyle. No, yeah, it was the, the family last name was O'Doyle. Yeah, Kevin O'Doyle. Okay. Um, yeah, I think there's a I think there's a few um, whatever O'Doyles, uh, but that's click for you. Yeah, uh, the obligatory Sandler product placement. You've got Twinkies. You've got. Uh, talk of bows, obviously the Bed Bath and Beyond thing, yeah, a uh, lot of it in this. Uh, anything else? I think I would say solid three star movie on Letterbox. If I'm, I consider dropping it to two and a half because there are some parts of it that just really don't work. Um, like I said, I like I can't. Wow. Okay. What? What's wow? No, you said two and a half. Oh. No, I said I said three. Oh. But I consider dropping it to two and a half. Two and a half. Okay. Um, interesting it's a it's I mean the comedy doesn't work a lot of it it's the movie the movie is very blatantly racist sexist and like I said transphobic it it is yeah sure yes Yes. I'm I guess I'm not factoring that into my rating I suppose but but um and you know factoring in just my expectation of Sandler I'm like a three and a three and a half solid on this yeah no not not quite for me but yeah like I almost went up to four but I didn't you ready to make a new chain? I'm more than ready. Let's do it. So we are taking Kate Beckinsale and we are going back to a man. Whoever that man is, we'll find out. I have a list of 10 actors in front of me, Nick. Give me a number between 1 and 10. 8. Number 8 on our list. We are going from... Kate Beckinsale to Carl Urban, who, of course, best known for his role in The Boys. Uh, we could end up getting a Lord of the Rings movie here, which would be oh amazing. Uh, we end up getting Star Trek, too. Uh, we can end up getting Thor Ragnarok. A lot of franchises for Carl oh, Urban. I hate, I hate, dude, I hate this. I'm looking at what he's in. Uh, Big uh, franchise guy. Oh, my God. Not a fan of that. That's but great. he's also been in some other <laughs> isolated things, so we'll see, where, we'll see what we can get. Um, so, Kate Beckinsale... To Carl Urban, connected by Kate Blanchett, Kate to Kate, <laughs> are in The Aviator together, which is a movie about Joe Biden's sunglasses. Yes. And yeah. it's uh, actually a fan. It's actually a really great movie. You know, and um, that's that's, that's a- about Howard Hughes, right? Yes. It's uh, it's Leo as Howard Hughes. And Kate Blanchett won an Oscar for that uh, playing. Uh, I think not Amelia Earhart. Catherine Hepburn. She played Catherine Hepburn. Matt Lauer was talking about. Howard Hughes and a biography of Howard Hughes 
the moment 9-11 happened. Why are we talking about Matt Lauer? <laughs> because he was talking about Howard Hughes the moment 9-11 happened. Okay. So that's my yeah. main... Mainly, I associate Howard Hughes with 9-11 now. Yeah. Kate um, uh, Blanchett's Carl Urban in a movie series I know you hate called The Lord of the Rings. Yes. So, uh, automatically, these are two of the best movies we've ever done. The Two Towers. Which is the second in, of the of the okay. trilogy. Um, which I, is going to be very interesting because I don't think you've seen any of these. No, I fell asleep watching the first one at a sleepover once. And, I, and my dream was more entertaining than the movie. I hated it. Okay, but how I, long ago was that? So long ago. Okay, so you're going to no, give it another shot. The, it's, uh, yeah, it's not about quality. It's like I have such low interest in that type of genre right there. But it's cool. Okay. Well, because I have the I think they'll surprise to you. fly me through it. So are you going to watch Fellowship of the Ring or are you just going to? Um, uh, I'm going to think about it. Okay. Um, you know what I'm probably going to do is I'll probably background watch it and then read the Wikipedia page. And be like, okay, yeah, that is what I just saw. Great, it's just and like Pe- just like Peter Jackson and J.R.R. Tolkien intended. <laughs> awesome. Well, I saw the Beatles documentary, so that does that help? Nope. Anyway, <laughs> so we'll get to that chain at the beginning of 2023. But next week, we're going to take a break from our chains and do a year in review of 2022. We're going to do our first annual awards that we give out. Um, we're going to go over the 34 movies that we reviewed and talk about. Which were the best, which were the worst, which had the best moments, which had the worst moments in a still to be titled quick half hour award show, quote unquote quick. We're never quick, but yeah, that'll do it for this week's chain for Nick Ricardo. I'm Andrew Jay. The chain continues. Rip a Rip Ray. Rip Tony. Rip Tony.